The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Okay, good evening. I'm going to preach tonight out of um, the book of Genesis, um, the story of Noah. And like Noah, um, Noah was a little outside of his comfort zone, I think, uh, being tasked with building this ark. And um, like him, I'm a little outside of my comfort zone tonight. So bear with me. Noah spent 100 years outside of his comfort zone. I need to spend about 30 minutes, so I think, I think I'll get through this. Um, so, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, and might as well all stand with me as we read our, our scriptures tonight. And verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. And let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this church. We thank you for all who've come out tonight. Thank you for the Pioneer Club and and for the music ministries that go on here and the prayer uh, uh, time that goes on here on Sundays. And we just, we just thank you for all the blessings that we're able to share and for your grace that you've given to all of us. And we just pray you'd bless our time here tonight and the message in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm I'm certain that everybody here is very familiar with this Old Testament story of Noah and the flood and it's probably one of the most frequently used stories in Sunday school and in children's church. And I'm sure we can all picture the scene in our minds as kind of a rendering in a children's book. Uh, from some children's book illustrator showing a bunch of smiling animals happily making their way into a cartoonish boat, Uh, maybe some giraffes sticking their necks out of the windows at the top of the boat, and a a smiling bearded old man and his wife at the helm welcoming all the animals aboard in a loving way. And I, I think we all know that that's probably not a very realistic picture of how it all went down. Um... I mean, God told Noah that he was going to flood the earth and kill every living creature. And Noah had the awesome responsibility to save every living being that God saw fit to preserve. And, uh, you know, to do so, he had to build a boat so large that the world would not see another vessel of such stature for many thousands of years. In fact, I believe it's not until the 1850s that um, vessels, again, again uh, appeared that began to rival the size of the ark. And I'm, I'm thinking it had to be a little bit more, more than a little bit stressful for Noah. 
Um, after working on the boat and preparing for the flood for more than 100 years, I'm guessing he was probably showing some signs of wear and tear. And today you hear a lot about the prepper movement. Everybody's prepping for some kind of oncoming calamity. Stocking up on food, water, other provisions. I see a few of you chuckling. I, uh, gas masks, duct tape, right? Ammo, right? You get, get yourself a progressive reloader, right? You can shoot with one hand and reload with the other, right? Everybody's preparing for the end of the world or the zombie apocalypse, right? I think we have a few of our own preppers or people maybe with some prepper-like behaviors at least here, right? Um, and so in the spirit of prepping, uh, if I should say something wrong and God should strike me dead, all my notes are here. So one of you men can come up and just, just read it. You'll be fine, okay? Noah was a prepper way before prepping was cool. And he was definitely the ultimate prepper. Uh, but more than that, he had God on his side. And so I would say that he was the most divine prepper that the world has ever known. And God had something that was exceedingly rare in his time. A time where, as our text describes, the corruption and wickedness of man was great in the earth. A time where the world was filled with violence and evil, so much so that the Bible says that it grieved the Lord at his heart, such that he saw fit to destroy his creation and do sort of a a hard reboot on the whole system. Uh, But you know, God offered something to Noah that was very rare. It was exceedingly rare. And this is actually the first time in the Bible where it's mentioned by name. In verse 8 of our text, we're told that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And while I think we can see the grace of God pictured in some earlier Bible events, I found it interesting that this is the first use of the word grace in the scriptures. As I was contemplating this message, I couldn't help but notice how the various aspects of God's grace and the doctrines of grace, as we know them today, are so apparent throughout this story. And so that's the subject of our message tonight. So let's explore this flood of water in which also was present a very definite flood of grace. And so first on your notes here tonight, let's notice that Noah's grace was undeserved. Noah's grace was undeserved. Now some might think by reading verse 9 of our text that perhaps Noah found grace in the eyes of God because Noah earned it. We see in verse 9 that Noah is described as a just man who is perfect in his generations. It notes he's also walked with God, a description also used in relation to Noah's great-great-grandfather Enoch who, uh, uh, to describe the intimate relationship these men had with God. There's no denying that Noah was righteous and obedient as a servant of God and he had great faith. And it's even more commendable that he was so upright in his walk with God among such an evil and exceedingly sinful generation that wanted nothing to do with God and probably mocked him continually. But make no mistake, no matter how upright and faithful Noah's walk toward God and no matter how intimate his walk with God was, Noah was not without sin. And if you think about it logically, he was not without sin for the simple reason that if he were sinless, 
he would have no need for the grace and mercy of God, right? And we know he fell into some sort of sin involving drunkenness, whether it was intentional or not, after the flood, as described in the latter part of Genesis 9. And while he may have been an absolutely, had an absolutely remarkable walk with God, to say he was sinless would be an affront to the sinless perfection known only by Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The one who's described in 2 Corinthians 5.21 as follows, For he made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And this is also supported in Romans 5.22, I'm sorry, 5.12. Whereas by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, not some men, but all men, for that all have sinned. Not some have sinned, but all have sinned, and that includes Noah. No, Noah was a sinner just like you and just like me, and he was a sinner just like every, every other person on this earth, just like even the most holy and godly men that we can think of today or in times past. And as a sinner, he was helpless to do anything to earn the favor of God. Uh, He didn't earn God's grace through his works. And he didn't inherit God's grace through his family lines. He didn't inherit Enoch's righteousness. Or we probably would have also read about other family members who would have also shared such an inheritance. Um, He was given God's grace because God desired his grace to be given to him as a sovereign choice. And we see this aspect of grace supported in the New Testament also by this well-known scripture, Ephesians 2, chapter 8, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We all know that one. I would submit that Noah's upright walk And his obedience towards God was the result of God granting him grace rather than the other way around. And this is consistent with what we know of God's grace toward us today, which is expressed so well in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And Brother Abshire taught from these same verses this morning in Sunday school. And I don't know about you, but I can't get enough of those verses. It's it's humbling uh, to see here just how magnificently blessed we are as believers in Christ to have been chosen by God 
before the foundation of the world to be partakers in his marvelous grace simply because it was God's will, not because of anything we did or any quality in our character. No, it's all up to God today just as it was all up to God in Noah's day. And if we turn back to chapter 5 of Genesis in verses 28 and 29, we read, And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah. This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. So let's uh, notice next that Noah's purpose was predetermined. Noah's purpose was predetermined. Noah was born in a time when scratching out a living was not easy. And we can see this in this verse. Noah's father, Lamech, expressed his weariness with the current living situation and the toil required to create a livelihood. And he hearkens back to Genesis 3.17 where he refers to the cursed ground that they had to work with. And perhaps there was some prophecy concerning the birth of Noah. The Bible, the Bible doesn't really say, but, but when Lamech brought forth a son and named him Noah, which means rest or comfort, it is apparent that God was working in the situation. Somehow directing Lamech to name, his, name him Noah and proclaim that he will one day bring comfort to his people, that he would be more than an ordinary blessing to his generation. And so it was known at his birth that Noah would grow to become someone very special to his generation. And we know that after the flood, Noah was described as a husbandman or a man of the earth. And one could speculate that he didn't just acquire his farming skills in the moments after the flood, uh, but that it was probably a culmination of his work over his life of more than 600 years at that, at that point in time. And now perhaps Noah developed methods of farming that improved yields and made it easier for people to work the soil. Perhaps he had a knack for finding ways to make other things in daily life more comfortable and less laborious. Who knows? But whatever the case, I'm sure nobody would have fathomed just what purpose God ultimately had in store for Noah. And I'm sure Noah was surprised as anyone when he learned it for himself. God chose Noah for a specific purpose, and he did so before he was born. And this is consistent with how God expresses his sovereign will today in the life of the elect. Let's look at Romans eight twenty-eight through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For them, for whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So just as in the case of God's elect today, Noah was called according to God's purpose. He was predestined by God before the foundation of the world, and when God invited Noah and his family into the ark, we can see God's justification at work as they were saved from God's wrath upon all other living creatures upon the face of the earth. 
just as believers in Christ today are justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. So now let's skip down the story a little bit to the point where Noah has finished the construction of the ark and has prepared all the provisions for the journey ahead. And the story is rich in meaning, and I don't mean to dismiss some of the other lessons that we can glean from these passages. And as an aside, after preparing this message, I can, uh, I can really appreciate how our pastor cannot help but moving quite slowly sometimes through his exposition of scriptures. Um, when you start pulling this stuff apart, you discover just how rich in meaning God's word really is. And when you have encyclopedic knowledge of the scriptures like our pastor does, I can see how he is just bombarded with different messages that he feels compelled to preach each week on even a very seemingly small section of scripture. So when our pastor comes back, thank him for what he does. Um, because it's, it's, it's difficult and it's weighty and it's... Um, it's something to appreciate. So back to our message. Um, this account of Noah, it's no different. There are a great many lessons that can be built from this story. But tonight, we're going to skip ahead to the point where Noah is finished building the ark. And now it's time to decide who and what would be brought aboard. So let's discuss next how God's protection was limited. So let's think about this for a minute. We know that the people at the time of Noah were exceedingly wicked and even uh, evil, even to the point that it grieved God at his heart. But we see some pretty incredibly wicked and evil people in our day as well. And it seems that with every lap we take around the sun, our civilization becomes even more sinful and more morally corrupt. And this has been going on since the dawn of time, really. But we also know that God can take the most despicable of sinners and turn his heart around to do marvelous works for God. Do we not? And the Bible is full of examples of this. And you need no look, look no further than Paul and how he describes himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 where he admits to that before he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious uh, and later describes himself as the chief of sinners. And I think that for most of us, a good look in the mirror reveals the same truth. Would it not? God dragged us out of the mire of the flesh and he revealed himself to us in much the same manner as Paul describes. So do we think for a moment that if it were God's will at the time of Noah, that he couldn't have converted countless souls for his cause, even in Noah's corrupt generation? Clearly, God's using these events to teach a lesson, and one of those lessons is about the limited nature of his saving grace towards sinners. Not that his grace is limited in its capacity capacity to save any person who would believe, but rather it's limited in terms of the number of souls that would be saved. And we can see this also represented in the way in which people and beasts entered the ark. You'll notice in Genesis 6.16, God instructed Noah to put a door in the side of the ark. One door. Just one. There was one way in. 
And this is similar to the design of the tabernacle. It only had one entrance. And this is also symbolic of what Christ tells us about salvation in him. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be saved. And in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. And as we know, in the case of Noah, the only human being spared in the flood were Noah and his immediate family. His wife, his three sons, and their wives. That's it. Nobody else. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way indeed. And when it came to the animals, somehow God ensured that the right creatures and the proper number of each would make it to the ark in just the right order to be properly loaded and cared for during the events to follow. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch. I don't know. I I see an example here of the irresistible nature of God's calling. Not one of those creatures found its way to the ark without the calling of God. They didn't seek the ark on their own accord. They certainly wouldn't have been as well behaved as they must have been without the working of God in this whole situation. God called all of the creatures that would be saved to this precise location at a precise time in a specific order, and they were helpless to resist that divine calling. And I think there's a parallel here in how God works in the heart of the believer today. After all, Christ said in John 6:44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. Or John 6, 64, were in reference to Judas. Jesus said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Or how about the passages we're all familiar with in John chapter 10 where Christ describes the relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep, between Christ and the elect who are called. John 10:27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yes, even in this very first use of the word grace in the scriptures, we see consistency in the irresistible nature of God's grace portrayed in the story of Noah. And if you notice, in the account of Noah, there is no mention of any of the people or the animals aboard the ark dying during the 375 days that they were inside the ark. There's no mention of an extreme food shortage or of an unrest or disease among the animals no scurvy, no horrendous infestations of creeping things that were aboard the ark. Creeping things aboard the ark. God's provision was perfect. So that's our our next point here. God's provision was perfect. He provided the exactly the right provisions to ensure complete protection of everyone and everything that was aboard the ark. He didn't leave Noah's wife behind by accident. He didn't leave a single animal without the appropriate mate. Everyone and everything that he called to the ark and who entered the door was saved and delivered to a new post-flood world. They were kept safe by the power of God 
that they might persevere to the end. And so perseverance is also also pictured in the strength of Noah's testimony and his steadfastness to follow the commands of God despite some incredibly difficult circumstances. He was given an impossible task with minimal help, surrounded by evil and corrupt people that likely did little other than mock him, and yet God's grace was also sufficient to enable Noah to persevere through all of those trials. And today God makes the same promise to those who believe in him. In the passage we just read a moment ago, 1027, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It is followed up by verses 28 and 29 which read, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And this picture of perseverance in the story of Noah is also consistent with how perseverance is described in Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a humbling passage. That God could have such great love for those who would believe in him that he would not only provide a marvelous Savior as an atonement for our sins, but that his grace is so complete that it would have the power to preserve the salvation of precisely each and every believer. Not most believers, but every single believer. Through any trial, that could conceivably be encountered. And to me, that's a very humbling and important doctrine to remember. And how wonderful is it to know that the nature of God's grace has not changed since its very mention way back in the book of Genesis. We've seen in these passages that God's grace toward Noah was undeserved, representing the unconditional nature of God's election. We've seen the limited nature of Christ's atonement pictured in God's decisions about who he would save in the ark. And we've witnessed the irresistible nature of God's grace pictured in the means by which he would call them to salvation in the ark. We've seen an example of how God's grace allows the believer to persevere in their faith as depicted by God's provision within the ark and in the effect that God's grace had on Noah's life, a life of intimate fellowship with God. And though we haven't talked about it specifically, we also see the total depravity of man pictured in this story. And I think it's at the forefront of this story. As as it shows the complete inability of anyone to save themselves from the penalty of sin, due to their blindness to the things of God, caused by their utter depravity and sinful nature. 
Praise God for his grace towards sinners such as we are, who deserve nothing but eternity in the lake of fire. As it is said, but for the grace of God go I. There go I. And praise God for the security that his grace has afforded to each and every believer to persevere through the trials this world will provide us and the confidence that when we pass from this world, we will enjoy eternity in his presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your marvelous grace. We thank you for um, for saving us from the penalty of sin. We thank you for um, just the the undeserved gift that you've given us. And we just pray that we'd all um, continue steadfastly in our faith and that uh, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you as their Savior, we pray that, uh, that you would speak to hearts and, and call them to salvation. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org